Hi guys, thank you so much. You're, you're kind to applaud me before you even hear me. This could really stink. So if you want to take that back later, you definitely can. My name's Jordan. I had the privilege of coming to school at Sterling um, a while ago. Wow, and there's my old team. I worked in admissions too for a while. So this, is, this has been really cool. You guys are big time now. You have like a real mascot apparently. They can do like kicks and swing golf clubs and stuff. That's pretty neat. Um, when I came here, these seats were red, and the walls were green, and we called it the watermelon, and it was janky, but we loved it. So you guys are like, this is uptown now. Sterling's on the rise. This is pretty cool. Um, my wife and I now live in Emporia. I work as a student pastor there at a Baptist church, and we've actually been there for seven years, and so we're kind of having this crisis of identity because we were in Sterling for seven years, four years in school, and then I worked for three years in admissions with Dennis and my wife worked um, in the president's office, and so like we were here seven years, and now we're in Emporia for seven years, and it's like we don't really know what is home anymore. So you come back here, and it kind of feels like home, but I know that I live in Emporia, so it's kind of weird. But it's really good to be back here. Um, we always feel like we belong when we come back to Sterling, and this year's our 10-year reunion, and so we get to come back Saturday again and enjoy being here, um, but it's always a place of belonging. And what I want to talk to you about today is, is what does it really mean to belong? That's going to be kind of where we start. What does it mean to belong? Maybe for you, what does it mean to belong in this body, in this room, at this school right now? What does it mean for you to belong here? Does it mean that you follow Jesus? Does it mean that you have your life together on the outside? Does it mean that you've been on a mission trip, or you have a really exciting testimony, or you know a lot of scripture? Are those the things that make you feel like you belong here? I think for some of us who hit those marks, maybe internally we feel like, man, that's kind of what makes me feel like I belong. But what about those of us who don't hit those marks? What if you don't follow Jesus? What if, what if you're really new to your faith and you haven't read your Bible much and you don't know a lot of Bible verses or you don't even know what a testimony is, you've never been on a mission trip, like what does it mean for you to belong here? Guys, the truth is this. The reason we belong here is there's really one thing that unites us. Um, or there's one thing that qualifies us to be a part of this group, and that's our sin. That the reason we can all be here is because of our sin. That's what qualifies us to be here. And the thing that unites us, that bonds us together, is the fact that we believe Sterling is a place where we can give our sin to Jesus and take steps towards him. Sterling was that kind of place for me, and I know it's still that kind of place today, and that really excites me, that, that we come with our sin, that's what qualifies us to be here, but what unites us as an institution and here in this room is that we believe that Jesus is the answer to that sin. That anyone who is taking steps towards Jesus belongs and that, and that that's what unites us. And it's okay that those steps look really different for all of us because some of us have followed for a long time. We came to Sterling already knowing Jesus and so our steps look different for somebody who is still figuring out what you believe even maybe, if it's Jesus or something else. But the point is that we're all on this path to him and we're all taking steps towards him. And the reason that it's okay that these steps look different is because the ground at the foot of the cross is level. And what that means is everybody needs Jesus equally every single day. Did you know that? I know that it's easy to look around a room like this and say, well, the chaplain or this person or this RA or this RA, they need Jesus a little less than maybe I do today. Maybe, maybe I'm in a little more trouble than they are. But the simple, beautiful gospel is this, that we all need the gospel. We all need Jesus equally every single day. Can I get an amen on that? Do you believe that? That we all need the gospel equally 
every single day. But it's really easy to push against that. And it's really easy to forget that. And it's really hard to admit that. Because our flesh wages war against that. We don't want to be wrong. We don't want to admit that something is wrong inside of us, that there's another way besides our own. It's, it's really hard for us. It's really hard for me to do that. I think instead of admitting when I'm wrong, it's way easier to shift blame. It's way easier to make excuses for why something happened. I think we all know somebody like that who's an excuse maker, who shifts blame. Nothing's ever their fault. And if you're, you're looking at me and you're like, I, I don't know anybody like that, well, wait for your first group project in Dr. Qua's class, and you're going to see some blame shifting, and you're going to see some excuses, because group projects are where the blame comes out. But I think we're all like that at, uh, at our core. Guys, the Bible, it teaches something different than this. You see, when you enter into the kingdom, into Jesus' kingdom, it's actually this upside-down kingdom. And so the way things work in our world are often the opposite of how they work in Jesus' kingdom, right? It's upside down. And so actually what the Bible says is that the more we admit our fault, the more we humble ourselves, the more free we will be, the more that God will exalt us. And it goes against everything that we feel inside, but it's true. Because instead of believing that, we want to work hard at our perfection. I want to work hard at my perfection. I want to work hard so that when you look at me, you see someone who's good, right? Or at least you look at me and you see someone who's not as bad as somebody else. It's all about comparison when I'm in my flesh, that I, that I would look good to you or that I could work hard enough to be good in your eyes. But guys, we've got to be reminded of this truth, this truth that freedom is not perfection, it's having nothing to hide. And this is a really, really important thing, and this is something that I think it sometimes takes us a long time to learn and accept in our faith, so I'm going to say it again, that freedom is not being perfect. Freedom is having nothing to hide, and it's so important that we know this. It's so important that we accept this, because if we don't, if we if we equate freedom for ourselves with perfection, then our lives will spiral. Our, our lives will be marked by the spinning of our wheels trying to be good enough and it will never ever happen and maybe some of us are even there right now and you wouldn't say it out loud but you can feel it you're like there's this there's this hole inside me there's something going on and no matter how much I try to be good enough or I try to appear good enough it's the cup is never quite full in fact it's always draining it's like there's a there's a hole in the bottom of it and I know that no matter how hard I work it's never ever going to be enough guys I want to start uh, in that place today as we go over scripture, because what we're going to talk about is going to parse this out really well. So if you have your Bible, if you are old school and you have a paper Bible, or if you brought your U version on your phone, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians. So 2 Corinthians 3 is the place we're going to be. So while you turn there, let me give a really brief explanation, just like give us some context of what we're stepping into. So Paul is maybe somebody you've heard of in the Bible. He's a big deal, great missionary in the, in the New Testament, wrote um, Maybe the most, maybe just behind John, but a lot of words in the New Testament. And so what Paul did was he went and he planted churches. And so on Paul's second missionary journey, he comes to a city called Corinth in AD 51, and he plants a church there, and it's good. And a good thing is, is happening. The, the gospel is planted there. And so Paul moves on. Well, what happens is Paul starts to get word from this church in Corinth that while the gospel took root there, and there is still a church, that a lot of the people are doing wrong things that they have been saved, but they're still doing wrong things. Is anybody like that? I'm like that. You get saved, but you're still doing the wrong things. And so Paul, in AD 54, writes this, this letter of 
what we would call 1 Corinthians, back to the church. And basically, the gist of the letter is this, that, hey, you guys are doing wrong things. You need to remember who you are in Christ and turn away and repent of those things and follow the one true gospel. So if you've never read 1 Corinthians, I just summed it up for you right there. That's what it is. Well, this letter gets to the doorstep of the church there in Corinth, and it's, it's met with mixed reviews. Some of the leaders, they're like, okay, we can accept this. We can grow from this. We, we agree. Some of them go rogue. And they're like, you know what, Paul? We don't even believe that you are who you say you are. We don't believe you're in Christ. We're not going to listen to you. You don't have any authority over us. And so word of this gets back to Paul. And so Paul then pens this second letter, which we would call 2 Corinthians in the same year. He writes it and sends it to the church and basically is trying to validate who he is, right? I, I am Paul. I Uh, I am found in Christ. I found you in the gospel. You can trust what I'm saying. My words are trustworthy. And so this is what we're stepping into here in this this book, this letter of 2 Corinthians. And we're going to be in chapter 3 where Paul is talking about something called the new covenant. And so when he refers to this hope in this first verse, he's talking about the new covenant, meaning there's a new way to connect with God, that it's no longer the Old Testament way, but since Jesus has come and lived the life that we couldn't live and died the death that we deserve and rose again to new life as an example for what we will one day do, that we can put our faith in him. And this is this new covenant that Paul is trying to spread around to the whole known world at the time. So I'm going to read uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 12 through 18, and uh, we'll, we'll kind of walk through it quickly and, and explain some holes in there um, really fast. And I forgot my Bible at the back, so I'm going to look at the screen if that's okay. So 2 Corinthians 3, uh, we're going to start with just 12 to 17. It says this, Therefore, since we have such a hope, We are very bold. So Paul there is talking about that new covenant. This hope they have is this new covenant. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts, But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So Paul starts here by equating this old story that everybody's heard. Whether you've been to church or not, you know about Moses up on Mount Sinai getting commandments from God and giving them to the Israelites. Well, when he does this, when he's so close to God, God's Shekinah glory is shining on him, and he he cannot be seen by other humans because they will... They will explode from God's glory, right? Or we don't know what happened, but something crazy would have happened. So, so Moses fashions this veil over his face, and he goes down to the foot of the mountain so that when people look at him, they see the veil, and it covers God's glory. And Paul is saying, at one point, there was this veil that covered God's glory from you Hebrews, and it was for your good. But now there's this spiritual veil in front of your faces, and it's doing you harm, not good, because it is blocking God's glory. It's blocking his goodness, and you can't see who he really is. And Paul says, if, if you would just turn towards God, he would remove the veil for you. But until that happens, you're not going to understand who he is. You're not going to understand the beauty of, of the cross. You're not going to know what this Jesus Messiah is all about. And this is where Paul starts to talk about freedom. And this is what we're really getting into today. Because he says, when that veil is removed, when you do turn to God and he removes that from you, then the spirit, of the, God, the spirit of God is there, and where the Spirit of God is, there is freedom, right? He says, where the Spirit of God is, there is freedom. Now, let me ask you this. If you have accepted Christ, and the Holy Spirit now indwells you, 
the Spirit of the Lord is inside you, right? And you have freedom, according to 2 Corinthians 3. So are you now perfect? Do you go around living your life without sinning, without stumbling, without being tempted? No, not at all. Why? Because, because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, but that doesn't mean that you're perfect. It just means that you're authentic. It just means that there's a whole part of your life that maybe previously you would have hidden, but now it's been redeemed by Jesus, and so you have nothing to hide, right? That's what it means to follow Jesus, that, that your whole life is a story of Jesus' victory over your sin. And so you're not walking around trying to be perfect, even though we mix it up. We get it twisted and think, now I know Jesus, and so I've got to be perfect. But that's not what the Spirit of the Lord is all about. It's about freedom, meaning authenticity, not perfection. Do you guys get that? I, I was lost on that for so long. And I thought for so long, now that I have Jesus, I've got to be perfect. I was an RA. I was doing all these things. I was, I was, I was a theology major, and I thought perfection had to be the goal in my heart, and it wasn't. Authenticity is the goal, and it's what the Spirit allows us. You don't have to be perfect. Um, Psalm 103 says it really beautifully. It talks about our perfection here, and it says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed your transgressions or your sins from you. We see that on screen, but man, do you really feel that? Because some days I don't feel that. It's really, really, really hard to believe that sometimes, that God would actually be able to separate me from my sin to that degree. I still feel this natural, like, fleshly urge to temper myself, to, to put up a facade, to show people what they want to see, because I, I, it's hard for me to let the Spirit rule my life and be authentic in that way. Do you guys feel me on that? Are you guys the same way? I mean, I, I see social media, and the whole thing of social media is that you show people what you want them to see, not what you really are, right? There are filters. There are different, different ways for us to show the world uh, what we want them to see. And then you think about in real life, in certain social circles, maybe you're one way. At Sterling, maybe you're one way. At home, maybe you're one way. It is so easy and natural for us to put up a front and show people exactly what they want to see based on who they are and what they want to see in us. It's just what we do. We are so good at hiding ourselves, and it's terrifying because that is not what Jesus wants for us. We're not the first ones to do it, though. In Genesis 3, we see Adam and Eve. And they are the first ones to do this. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Adam and Eve have sinned and they are the first ones to ever hide themselves from God because they don't want him to see their sin, right? Um, they're in the trees. They're hiding from a God who sees everything, which is silly, but it's all they had at the time. Do you guys ever play hide and seek? Are you like too mature for that or is hide and seek still a thing? Um, when I was here, um, we would play hide and seek in this building and it was legit. This is like the best place. Okay, actually, Dennis is here. Uh, my, friends, my friends played hide and seek in here, Dennis. I, I told them not to because it wasn't Christian, but they did. Um, Colbertson is the best place for hide and seek. So I don't know. I mean, you got a mascot now, so security's probably ramped up, so it's probably harder to break in. But if you can do it, this is the destination for hide and seek. So just a heads up. Um, but yeah, hide and seek, a game that we all love. But what, is, what does the caller say? This is some group participation. What does the caller say when you're looking for someone and you give up and you can't find them and you want them to, to give up to? What do you say to them? You say... Oh, man, this is tough. 
You say, come out, come out, right? Come out, come out, wherever you are. I know you guys were thinking it, but it's early, so you didn't say it. Like, it's okay. I've been in the seat. I get it. It's fine. When you're calling for hide and seek and you want someone to come out, you say, come out, come out, wherever you are. This is, this is the heart of God looking for his people in Genesis 3, and it's the heart of God looking for you today, right? Like, look at, look at what God says here. He says, where are you? I don't know when you guys were kids, but when I was a kid and my parents were ticked because they did something bad, they asked me a few questions, but it wasn't where, where are you? It's like, um, it's like, what did you do? Or why would you do that? And I always want to be like, I'm nine. I don't know why I did that. Like, that was, like, why are you asking me? But it was very accusatory. Like, what have you done? Why did you do that? And you were like on trial. And this is not the heart of God in Genesis 3. He sees he sees that his children are hiding from him. He knows they're in sin, but he doesn't say, what have you done? And he doesn't stand there to accuse them. He says, where are you? He wants that closeness that they had. He wants that relationship restored. And it's the same thing for you today. You're maybe sitting there and you know your sin. If the Holy Spirit has shown it to you, and you and your mind envision a God who is saying, what have you done? Why did you do that? But you've got to know that the heart of the Father is, is Genesis 3. He's saying, where are you? He's saying, you have made these choices and you have wandered. Or maybe you don't even know me yet, but you sense that you need me. He's saying, where are you? I want that closeness with you. We've got to know that the default setting of God is not set to anger. It's set to love. That is, his arms are always open to you. He's always ready for his child to come home. John 15, right? The prodigal son, when he comes back because he spent all his dad's money, the, the father is ready to welcome him even though the son has no right to be welcomed. And that is the heart of God. He is asking us, where are you? He's saying, I want to have relationship with you. And so the next thing that we've got to know and we've got to believe it's hard. It's hard to believe it, but we've got to. If you are hiding that God wants the game to end because your sin does not disqualify you from God's love. Your sin does not disqualify you from God's love. It actually qualifies you for a gospel experience. Did you know that? That when you sin, it doesn't disqualify God from loving you. Quite the opposite. It sets you up to make the cross that much bigger in your life and make Jesus and what he did that much more important in your life. It's so important that we know that because when we hide, when we self-isolate, when we keep things inside, you got to know that there's an enemy and that that's exactly what he wants from you. He wants you to be isolated. He wants you to keep things inside because he doesn't want what's best for you. And he would absolutely hate it if you gave up the hide-and-seek game. He would absolutely hate it if you came out and said, I give up. I'm right here. If you got real with somebody today, an RA, a close friend, a confidant, and say, this is what I'm going through, or this is, this is what I'm feeling, or this is what I've done. He would hate it if even in your own seat, you would take the baby step today of admitting to yourself that I'm broken, and I'm messed up, and I need something outside myself. He would hate it if you got real with yourself, if you came out of your hiding spot, because he doesn't want what's good for you. But you've got to know that if you're able to do that, if you're able to take that baby step to admit to yourself that you, you're ready to come out of hiding, you're ready to be real with God, maybe you're even ready to talk to somebody else about it, that this is when walking with Jesus can really start. And so what I want to do is I want to go back to 2 Corinthians 3, and, and, and Paul's last verse on the end of this is verse 18, and it speaks right to this. And if you're in that place where you're ready to come out of hiding, you're ready to be done playing the, the hide-and-seek game, Paul's got three things for us to help us walk well with Jesus and I want to give them to you both as a roadmap and a challenge to you today. So verse 18, Paul says this. 
He says, and we all who with unveiled faces, with those of us who have taken off the veil, we're like, all right, I'm done hiding. I'm ready to see God for who he is. We contemplate the Lord's glory and are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. Paul puts three little nuggets of truth in here that are going to be challenges for us today. And it's my hope for anyone who wants to follow Jesus that we would do these three things well. So number one is that we would live with unveiled faces, that we would truly live authentically, that we would for once in our lives get vulnerable with somebody and be real with somebody and not be in this hiding place where we're hiding who we really are, we're hiding our ugliest parts because we're so afraid that we'll get canceled or we'll be disqualified from a relationship. We've got to live with unveiled faces. James 5.16 says this, It says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I don't know if anybody's ever been on the receiving end of that before where you've had this sin and you've kept it inside and it feels like it rules you. And then you have a moment of clarity and bravery and the Holy Spirit gives you the ability to let it out and you share it with somebody. And it's just crazy how that sin loses its power. It's really insane. And God is so good for it. I'm I'm telling you that God is calling you into that. He is offering that to you. And the reason is this, because we are saved by confessing our sin to Jesus, but we're healed by confessing it to others. That's the truth. That you don't have to tell a, a close friend about your sin and, and confess it to them to be saved. That's, that's not what the gospel's about. As long as you do that with Jesus, you're good. But James 5.16 tells us that we are healed on the inside when we share it with somebody else, when we let them into our brokenness, because sin loses all power. So that is what Paul is calling us into, first and foremost. I made a note as I was driving here today. If anybody is struggling, and you would not, you would not raise your hand or anything, and, and I wouldn't want you to, but if anybody is struggling with like a habitual sin, like something you can't kick, and you're like, you know, I would love to confess, but I don't even know where to go with that or what to do, there's a book by John Elmore called Freedom Starts Today, and I recommend it to my students. We just had a conversation with a student about it last week. Um, and it is so good at eradicating habitual sin. It's, it's a book that you do with one other person, and it's a daily devo. And if that's you, that's all I'll leave it at. But if that's you and you need a first step, just Google that and, and even just read about it before you buy it. But that could be a good resource to you. So number one, we've got to live with unveiled faces. Number two, we've got to be more and more transformed into Jesus' image, that we cannot stay the same if we're going to say we follow Jesus. If somebody commits to Christ and then at the end of their life, they look the exact same as when they committed to him, they weren't really following Jesus because they didn't become any more like him. There was no sanctification there. Um, there is a, there's a story in John 8, and I, I don't know why I thought you guys would want to read all this, but let's go to the last slide. Yeah, you guys have better, better places to be than just sitting here reading text. So this is a story in John 8 of the Pharisees. They bring a woman caught in adultery uh, to Jesus, and they're ready to stone her. They're ready to kill her. And long story short, Jesus says these famous words, which you've probably heard, you without sin cast the first stone. And so they slowly walk away. And then Jesus has a moment with this woman. And he says, woman, where are they? Where are your accusers? Has anyone condemned you? And she says, no one. And he says, well, neither do I condemn you. He declared, go now and leave your life of sin or go now and sin no more. When you come to Jesus, it doesn't matter how you come to him, caught in adultery, caught up in sin, um, the kind of person who would never think they would believe in Jesus and has done things that would feel totally disqualified. It doesn't matter how you come to him. Because when you come to him, he is ready to receive you like that good father, right? Where are you? I want you. But here's the thing is when we come to Jesus, we can come as we are, but we can't stay the same. 
that our lives are never the same after we have an encounter with Jesus. And that's what he's saying to her here. He's saying, you're forgiven. You're off the hook. There's no condemnation, no payment for your sin, but you've got to make a change in your life. And so this is Paul's second uh, charge to us, that we would be transformed into the image of Jesus, that if we claim to follow Jesus, that our lives would look more and more like him every single day. The last one is this, number three, I know I'm getting close to time, is, uh, is that we would know that if any good thing happens, that it comes from the Lord, right? It says, which comes from the Spirit, which is the Lord. Sometimes we can get wrapped up in faith, and we can think that we're doing a really good thing, and we can even start to believe that it's because of us, at least I can. And we need this reminder, we need to be asking the question, is this because of me, or is this because of the Holy Spirit? Because if anything good happens in us, it is because of the Holy Spirit. Really quickly, um, I mean, the, the Bible is full of these things, the, these moments where God is the initiator, where he is making something happen for his people, and this is just a few of them. In Joshua, God is the one who fights for the armies of Israel. In 1 Samuel, God is the one who will defeat Goliath for David. In John 6, Jesus says, if anybody comes to the Father, it's because he draws them, right? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 Corinthians 3 that it doesn't matter what is said from this, from this stage. It doesn't matter the words that I say because if anything is going to happen in anybody's heart, it's not my words. It's not these slides or anything like that. Um, it's, the, it's, the word, it's the Holy Spirit, that he's going to be the one that makes something grow. And so we've always got to be aware that God is the instigator. It's never us who is doing these good things. It is always his spirit working in us. Um, and so these are the three A's that I leave you with. Guys, I challenge you that we would be authentic in our relationships. Or maybe it starts with just being authentic with yourself because nobody lies to you more than you, right? Nobody lies to you more than you. So cut the lies, stop hiding, and be real with yourself about your sin. That you'd be accountable to somebody that if you want to follow Jesus, that you'd have somebody in your life that can speak into you and say, hey, I really see you growing in this way. Or, hey, I'm seeing this pattern and it's not what Jesus is about be accountable to somebody if you want to follow Jesus and, and be sanctified in him. And the last one is that we've always got to be asking that question, man, these good things, am I going to believe that they're really because of me or am I going to give the Holy Spirit his due? Am I going to give him the credit? Because he is the straw that stirs the drink. He is the instigator. He is the one that makes the seed grow in my heart. And so just using these three things to stay on track. Guys, I loved my time at Sterling. Um, it was really, really formative for me. I grew a lot as a person. I grew a lot as a follower of Jesus. And part of it was that Sterling's a great place, but another part of it was that I, I learned over time to submit to these three A's, that I learned to be authentic, accountable, and always asking that question. And so that is my challenge to you, that if you are on this journey with Jesus, that you would write those three A's down, that you would live by those, and that we um, would live in freedom of having nothing to hide, of not trying to be perfect, but of just submitting to the gospel and having nothing to hide. So I think I'm about done. Let me pray really quick. Father, thank you so much for this time. Um, thank you for, for these listening ears. We just pray that your spirit would use whatever was from you to grow um, love in their hearts for you. So we want to grow in obedience and affection for you. Help us to do that. Thank you for Sterling and for these, these students and, um, yeah, what you're doing in their lives. In your son's name we pray. Amen.